Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Ask all of us to rise on our faith. It is not part of our liturgy. We normally don't do this. But I want us to rise on our faith. We'll hear the reading of the word of God. Just open your Bible with me. We'll be going to Nehemiah chapter 8. Open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 8. Please just go there. And uh, we will all read together. One of our brothers will be leading us. He will lead us as we read the word of God. Please open your Bible. And I will please ask you to go to Nehemiah chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can just lean beside someone who has one and please look. Or you can look on the screen and read with us. We ask our brother to lead us as we read Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra... The priest brought the book, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Methaliah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Pediah, Mishael, Milkachah, Masham, Bishbesdam, Zechariah, and Shemula on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua Barnai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebethalai, Hodai, Messiah, Kelita, Azaria, Zobodab, Hanam, Peliah, the Levites helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the meaning, the reading. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not moan or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who had nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. And be not greed, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be greed. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and sent portions, and made great rejoicing. 
Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, mitre, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each man on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gates of Ephraim. In all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths for the for from the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Shall we pray? Father, we are thankful to you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, that when you created all things, you spoke this word. And the present word that we see, Lord, came out of the words of your mouth. You spoke this word and everything came into being. Lord, this word even became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld the glory of this word as the one and the only begotten Son of the Father. He lived among us. He tasted everything that we even go through as human beings. And Lord, when the enemy showed up and even tried to destroy your creation, he brought in fear, he brought in shame, he brought in guilt, he brought in man's separation, he brought death even from man and God. He brought in everything that man lost a man couldn't even have even from you anymore. But you sent your son and your son came and even became this word in flesh to restore all things back even unto yourself. This morning we pray that this word of God become a living word in this meeting. I pray that this word will be exalted in this congregation. This word will go out amongst us, let it restore back your creation unto your own self. In our individual lives, I pray, even in our cities and in the nations of the world, let this word that you spoke, that created this perfect world, let this word have its cause in our world. And let this word restore all things back unto yourself. I pray that where there is shame, restore back. Where there is fear, Lord, restore where there is guilt, restore. When man is running away, Lord, bring us back unto yourself because of your word. Thank you this morning. Sweet Holy Spirit, have your own way this place. I humble myself, Lord. Come and even speak to us as we listen to you from your word. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Can you please have your seat? So we're looking at Nehemiah and then... 
this series that we've been looking at for some weeks now, we've been seeing this man that left Persia after he took, actually got permission from his boss going back to Jerusalem for a work. What was that work? He was actually going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now right from chapter 6, 7 going, we realize that the walls have been finished. After 52 days, the physical part of the work has been finished. But Nehemiah, still listening to God, he realized there was something else that was missing. This man knew that there was another dimension that he needs to bring these people back to. What I see here is that the spiritual dimension, Nehemiah saw that needed to be rebuilt. There was something else Nehemiah needed that he needs to be rebuilt. He realized that there was something missing. There was a vacuum in people's hearts, even though the walls have been built. Nehemiah knew that people's heart needs to be filled now with God and not with the things of the world. So what was Nehemiah's mission now? His mission was that he wanted to bring people back to the world. He wanted to bring people back to God's law or God's scriptures. He wanted to rebuild this again in Jerusalem. Nehemiah knew that security, a place to lay your head, your job, a nice city, a plush place to live, a dream that you wanted, all these things were good. Nehemiah knew that the city had already gotten all these things. But he knew there was a vacuum. There was an emptiness in man. There was something else in them that if he does not bring them back to it, he will have succeeded in building the physical walls. But God said to the prophets that I will be a wall of fire around the city. So their physical walls was not enough. God himself said he was going to be a wall of fire around them. So Nehemiah was bringing them back into that place. What I see here is that church, it is not enough to have all the physical superstructures, all the beautiful things in this world without the spiritual dimension. What I see here is that it is not enough to have a plush dream come to pass without the place of God's word in your life. If that is missing, you will get to a place where you will ask, I have built everything, but I still feel empty. I still feel that there is something lacking in me. And I believe that Nehemiah's mission was to bring these people to this place where they will be restored, where they will come to know God more. Deep in us, I believe that we need to go back onto the word of God. The word of God that triggers us hearing the voice of God. If deep in us we have succeeded in getting all the things and the word of God is not there, then we got to ask ourselves again that where is that unction that can lead me back to God? Where is that thing that will let me go back and bow my knees and say, I can hear your voice, I can hear you speaking to me again. And this is what we are going to be looking at today as we go back even to God's word. So Nehemiah's mission was to lead these people returning back onto the Bible. And how did they return onto the Bible? How did they return back onto the Bible? As I look at Nehemiah chapter 8, the first thing I see there is that these friends read the Bible. Nehemiah actually called a meeting, but this meeting, Ezra was the priest that was leading this meeting. And the first thing I see is that they read the Bible. This sounds quite simple, but I was like, okay, they read the Bible. That is God's word. They read it. 
But in reading the Bible, there was something else that I saw there. It said that these people, they were gathered together as one man in an open place before the water gate. There were several gates in the city. But interestingly, it was the water gate that they gathered before. I got to realize this has nothing to do with the Watergate scandal, by the way, of the 1974s. I think that was, is it Richard Nixon? It has nothing to do with that. But these friends were gathered before the Watergate. And I believe that God has something even prophetically speaking to them concerning the Watergate. Because water in the word of God, we know what it means. So God was speaking to these friends in their gathering or in that meeting that was at the water gate. What can we see there? The scripture said that they were gathered as one man in an open place before the water gate. So we can gather together, but not as one. But it's important that when we gather, we gather together as one. Especially because of the word. What the word does is that it brings us together before God where there is no division. Where there is no separation. Because the work Jesus did was to make sure he brings us together into a body. Where there is no division between the Jew and then the Gentile. Where there is no difference or division because of your wealth, because of your background, because of your maybe where you came from, because of your standing in society. In God, he brings us together as one man in Christ. So Paul, speaking to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians 4, this is what he said. Christ died, and what he did was that he broke that wall, that division that was between us. What was he doing? He was bringing together, creating himself one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, and one Father of all who is above all. And there was something else he said in the verses 2 in Ephesians 4. He says, therefore, be eager or endeavor. This is where we come in. Because we don't manufacture this unity of the spirit. It's not going to work. We don't, we don't manufacture it. Our role is to be eager or to endeavor. He says that we need to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This is where we come in. We are to be eager. We are to be endeavor to keep that unity. Christ purchased it already. So we can gather together before God's word, but we need to gather as one. Why? Because David says that how good and how pleasant it is when brethren gather together in unity. He says it is like the oil that was poured upon Aaron's head. He says, there the Lord commands the blessing and life forevermore. Sister Hill, if there is going to be that unction of God, if there is going to be that life forevermore, the blessing of God that moves us, then we need to be one. Because of the word, we need to be one. Church, we need to be one. In our small groups, we need to be one. In our teams, we need to be one. It's very important. Our diversity is meant to be our strength, City Hill. I come from Africa. And please do bear with me. I know sometimes it doesn't flow with everybody. But do bear with me. Someone comes from the UK. Someone comes from India. Some come from Kerala. Kerala. is there. (laughs) 
I heard that that is called God's own country, by the way. <laughs> so in gathering together, what did Paul actually, he, he mentioned some few things as some of the graces that could help us achieve this. In Ephesians, he says that humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, Ephesians 4. These are things that we all need to consciously keep on practicing. Because you know something? Our externals will always try to show up. Our gender, our wealth, our pride, our cultural backgrounds, all these things will try to show up, especially in diverse communities like this. But it's important that humility, humility. Please do bear with me, humility. I was checking up on humility. I'm like, okay, humility. That means I put Christ first. I put Kami second. And Frank becomes last. But that's hard, you know. I put myself last? Seriously? No. I want to be on the front. <laughs> but for me, that's humility. Christ's interest, the mission of Christ, his purpose is first. You put your brother, your sister second, and you put yourself last. Church, that's what I call humility. And we need to make sure we pursue that. Not only that, he talks about gentleness. He talks about patience. He talks about bearing with one another in love. These things are needed. These things we need to pursue as a family. Because out there, it is all about tearing each other apart. It's all about devouring each other. But we carry a message. So these friends were gathered together as one before the world. And they read the word of God. And there the Lord commands the blessing and life forevermore. Not only did I see them gathered as one, there was a cry from the people. What was that cry? They cried to Ezra, Ezra, bring out the book. There was a cry. The cry was, bring out the book. And I kept asking myself, what were they asking for? What were they crying for? The cry was for them to hear the voice of God. The law of the Lord, the holy word, this Bible. They were crying that bring it out, Ezra. We want to hear. And sad enough, sometimes I feel that is not the cry of the church these days. Sometimes it's about what the church, people want to hear. Oh, what is the latest now? Church, Fuzi, you are not preaching the latest, the latest which is on the City Hill, are we crying for this word? Can we cry that leaders bring out the book? Bring out the book because this is the word. Someone will say that, man, Frank, the world has become more complex. Technology, science, business, money, all the systems of the world has become, I understand perfectly. But you know something? The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 40 that the grass will wither. The flowers will fade. But you know something? This word of God will stand forever. This word will stand forever. So no matter how complex the world has become, this word will surely stand forever. Do we cry for the word to be brought out in our deliberations, in our discussions? Maybe even in our team meetings, do we say, thou sayest the Lord, thou sayest the word of God. And this is what we follow. Sometimes it's about what I want to do. No, it is what does the word of God say here? Maybe in your relationship, maybe in, our, in, our, in, in, in a team where you are a leader. 
Is it the word of God? We should say, this is what the word of God says, and we should go by it. I believe that we need to cry for the word. We need to be demanding for what God's mind is on a subject. Let us go by it, because that is what will stand forever, church. Not my concept, no. That will pass. Not my theology, not my whatever I'm going to actually concur and bring out. It is God's word that will stand forever. And not only was that, I see that these friends, when they cried out for the word to be brought out, they started hearing. Ezra started reading the word. Six hours continuously from dawn even to midday. Six hours of continuous Bible reading, seriously? How many of us could have stuck to that? <laughs> I'm like, most people will walk out of that church. They will leave you. By the time you are done, the chairs will be empty. Six hours reading and hearing God's word. Probably that is where we need to go back to. And I believe that was a place of revival. A place of God's word coming back like a flood. Flooding our lives where we said... If I don't hear this word, I cannot go. If I don't hear you, Lord, I am empty, I am dry. I want to hear your mind. What do you have for me? Six hours, these friends were listening to God. How many of us will stand that? But I believe that is God's cleansing. That is the revival. That is God's presence coming more and more into you as you submit to his word. And we need to go to that place of reading again. And these days, people could even switch off. I'm telling you, if I go on for too long, people could switch off. And the next time, maybe, I don't know, somebody may be even on his social media or something. Somebody could switch off and be on the phone somewhere and he'll miss it completely. His body will be here and you'll be amazed that our minds will be somewhere else. But these friends gave reverence to this word, you know. They gave reverence to this word as the word was being read. They listened intensely. Why? Because they knew that years, years, so many years, they have been in exile, they've missed the voice of God. Their ears have heard things of Babylon, and I think even their tongues have changed. They can't even understand the voice of God anymore. When God speaks, they can't even hear it. They don't know whether it's the voice of God or what it really it means anymore. So they listened intensely. They listened. These people cried and said, we want to hear God. We want to know you more. And this is what Paul said. Paul said in Acts 17, verses 11, going, he said that the Jews that were in Berea were more noble than those that were in Thessalonica. Why? He said that these Jews, when they hear the word of God, they receive the word with all readiness of mind. And they search the scriptures daily to see whether the things Paul said from the Bible was true. Church, we need to go back and become the billions of our time. Who goes back searching the world, searching the world, and tell the pastor, I think this is what the Bible said. And not pastor, probably your shirt looks a bit of something today. So we need to go to that place where we will search the scriptures, we will discuss the scriptures, we will live with the scriptures, we will talk about it. As Deuteronomy says, when we walk along the streets, we will talk about it, we will discuss it. We all need to go back and become the billions of our time. David said, how sweet are your words unto my taste. These words are sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
Psalm 119 verse 103. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a lamp unto my path. These are not scriptures just to be quoting. It needs to become part of our life. The question is, do I wake up and use that time to want to hear God from his word? Is it the first challenge that I have? And some will say, no, we need to be abreast with the latest news of the time. Yes, that is true. So sometimes someone says, my routine is to wake up and read the newspaper and read this and read this and read this. That's brilliant. Listen to the news, read it. There's nothing really wrong with that. But do we bother about the emptiness that I feel in there without God? Do I bother about it? What am I feeding myself with? What am I feeding myself with? We need to go back to the world. We need to go back to the Bible. Where I say, God, you are the voice I want to hear when I wake up. Jesus had a custom, and one of them was to go into the synagogue and to read the Bible. To read the Bible. Because of time, I want to run a bit fast on this one. So not only was the Bible read, and not only did they cry for the word to be brought, these friends understood the reading. When Jesus spoke about understanding the Bible, I was kind of figuring this out. I realized that he compared it to a sower or a farmer who goes out to sow seeds. Here's how Jesus explained understanding. He says, anytime you open this Bible, anytime the word of God is preached, anytime you read this word, four things happen. He says, one is like a seed that is sown along the path. It is like the farmer goes out and wants to sow seeds, and he put the seeds probably in front of Hilton Garden, or he put it in front of just the road. And Jesus says that this is the one who hears the word, but because he does not have understanding. He says, this man does not have understanding. And this word goes in. The enemy comes to steal the word. The enemy comes and takes the word out of the life of the person. Because the person does not have understanding. And this seed, Jesus says, is the seed that is sown along the path. And not only that, he mentions a second ground. He says that there is another ground. When the word of God comes, it is like the seed that is put on a rock. I don't know which farmer will go sowing seeds and put it on the rock. But Jesus said, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but has no root in himself. But for a while, when persecution, tribulations, when challenges, when trials begin to come up, when life begins to throw issues against you because you stand, you want to be a child of God, you want to be a Christian, he gives up. He said, if being a Christian will cost me this, forget it. I don't want to continue to become a Christian. He says, this is the seed that is sown on a rock. Then the third one, he says that, again, the seed can be sown among tongues. He said, this is the one who hears the word, but the curse and the riches of this world choke the deceitfulness of the riches of this world. I want to have this. I want to have that. I want to have this. I, I want to have everything. There's nothing really wrong, but I want to have all. And God has not even come in and read. And the deceitfulness of all this curse choke that word. And this word is not able to bear any fruit. Jesus says that this is the seed that is sown among tongues. But he speaks about another soil. And this is my prayer. That city hill will be that soil. City hill will be that ground. He says that this is the good soil. He says that when the seed falls, because the one understands it, this seed bears fruit. Some bell seats in hundredfold, some bell seats in sixtyfold, 
some bells it in 34. Jesus says that this is the one who understands the word. Church, understanding of the word, Jesus says, it means you bearing fruits. And it is not competition, you know, because some will bear hundreds, some will bear 60, some will bear 30. It is all about fruitfulness for Christ Jesus. Are we being fruitful, City Hill? It is my prayer that we will bear fruits even in this city. Fruits that Paul speaks about in Galatians 5. Fruits even in our workplaces. Fruits in our homes. Fruits in this life where we are. We have a team that is going to the Philippines. They are going there because we want to be fruits in the nations. We want to bear fruits in the nation, so they're going there to represent us. To take this gospel even to the nations. Fruitfulness. And when, when, you know, when Philip met this Ethiopian Enoch that was going back to the east of Africa, he was reading Isaiah 53, but he didn't understand it. And Philip went close to his bench. Can I call it the bench? Okay. And then he asked him, do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I understand I said someone explain to me what I'm reading. And Philip began right from that word and began to explain to him about Jesus, who was like a lamb that was led, led even to be slaughtered. They led him like a sheep. He was actually battered, he was bruised, he was beaten for all of us. Pilate found no fault in this man, but he had to give him up for this man to die. For my sins and for the sins even of the world. So he explained to this man that this is what the prophet is talking about. And he said, wow, if this is it, I understand. I want to be baptized. Right there, here now. That is what understanding does. When understanding comes, immediately obedience comes. You want to obey, you want to follow God. You want to do what God has called you. Do we understand the scriptures? And because of time, I want to run quickly through this one. Finally, I want to say that these friends responded even to the word. They responded to this word that was read. How did they respond? I realized they respond in obedience. The Bible says that in verses 9, they wept. They cried. I kept asking myself, why were they crying? The wall has been built. The city is secure. What are you crying about? They were hearing something from the word. They were hearing God's word. Church, it is not about being legalistic. But let me ask the question, when was the last time this word moved you to your knees? Has this word ever moved you to the place of surrender? Has this word ever challenged me that I said, no more, God, I give it all. I surrender all and give it all unto you. You see, it can become a routine. It can become a religion. It can become a dogma. But that isn't what we believe in here. We believe in relationship with Christ Jesus. We believe in the walk with Christ Jesus. Has this word ever moved me before? It moved these friends and then they cried. Why? Because for years they've missed the voice of God. They were in the world. They told Ezra, we want to hear God. We were living in that world. Take away this rubbish that we've been hearing before. We don't want to hear it anymore. We want to hear God's perspective on this issue. What is God saying to us as exiles who have returned? And I believe that we can go back. So these friends, actually they listened. They responded in obedience. They responded by reviving a truth that was missing in God's word. What was that truth? For years, they celebrated 
this feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. But there was an aspect of the feast that they were actually not celebrating. What was that aspect? This was the aspect of building booths and living in it. I think when I was growing up those days in Ghana, we used to do this. I don't have any Ghanaians here. Okay, guys. Oh, quite a lot. No way. So during the Christmas, you got to find a lot of these things. Maybe I could have gotten a picture that will have boots with some leaves and plants and all kinds of things and people live in them and that kind of thing. And yeah, that sort of thing. They build boots with plants and leaves. So they were celebrating the feast, but this aspect, the feast of tabernacles, but this aspect of building the booth, they were not doing it. So when Ezra read the word of God and the people heard it, they rallied everybody. They said, guys, let's go back to the world. We will build the booths and we will live in it. And I kept asking myself, what can we learn from this? But I do believe that it's not just about building boots. It's not just about building boots, church. James says that, see, when we hear God's word, it's not enough to hear the word. We must obey what the word tells us. James 1, 22 to 25. Whatever God tells us, even if it is one revelation, go back and do it. Go back and do it. And that is where the blessing actually follows. When the word of God comes, the word comes, I believe, to perform three things. It comes to bring restoration. The word comes to bring transformation. This word also comes even to bring us back unto God. Church, this word comes even to bring examination sometimes. It does also bring transformation. When Nathan the prophet met even David, after he had gone to do all that he had to do, he told him that because you have repented and you have gone back from the sin that you were in, God has forgiven you and you will not die. God's word restores. Second Samuel 12, 13, God's word restores. God's word also comes to transform us from inside. God brings out a transformation that is shown on the outside. So these friends were revived because they listened to the truth again. They also experienced what I call the joy of the Lord. Re-experience the strengthening joy of the Lord. Their joy this time around was from God and from his word. Where is our joy from? It's our joy from the word of God. It's our joy from listening to God. It's our joy from doing the word of God. Where is my joy from? He says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So these friends listened and God's word brought them joy. I do believe that the Christian's joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The joy that we have is a fruit of the Spirit. And what God does is that it is not only a good feeling, you know, it is not only a good feeling. You can have good feelings, bad feelings here and there. But for the child of God, our faith in God's word and the joy that comes out of us because of the work of the Spirit this joy is able to stand the test of time and weather the storms of life. When life throws everything against you, do you have joy in the Lord that is based upon the word of God, that is based upon a relationship that is deep in his word? This is what will stand the test of time. The world's joy will leave you, and after it leaves us, we become more weak and we become more empty. 
And this is what Jeremiah says. Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Is that our scripture this morning? Before I run it up, let me leave you with this challenge. Do you have a place and a time where you sit to read and study the Bible? It might be probably your dining table, your bed, your couch. Maybe on the, in a bus or in the metro or a private place where you sit to listen to God's word. And let me also ask you, what is preventing you from spending more time with God in his word? Will you rather have God's word than food? David talks about that. Will you rather have God's word than sleep? Will you rather have God's word than the wealth of this world? William Carey said when he left England, he had hope for God to do mighty things in India. But this man we call the father of modern missions went through a lot. So much, so much, because from that, I mean, a background that you, we, we know the story already. As a shoemaker, learning how to fix shoes and trying to go on missions. And he said the Europeans even didn't help him. They were even making it more difficult for him. With all these challenges, a child's death, a wife's mental problems, all these things were there, yet he still had God in him who was driving him to go out. And he said, I'm going to India to take the word of God. He's going to come his country. And as I checked, this is what William Carey said. Let me, lay, let, me, let me just finish it with this word that he brought. He said, when I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But among so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God and his word is true. Though the superstitions of the hidden were a thousand times stronger than they are, and the example of the Europeans a thousand times worse, though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith fixed on the word, fixed on the sure word, will rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. Why? Because God's cause and his word will triumph forever. This is what William Carey said on his mission taking the gospel to India. Shall we please rise on our faith? So the band will be leading us. I want to give you a time when we just want to listen to God. I don't know what God might be speaking to you this morning. I don't know what is your relationship when it comes to the word anymore. Maybe you become so dry and the enemy keeps speaking to you that you will not be able to go back. You've not been able to go back to the world. You can launch a comeback unto Jesus. You can come back unto him and he will receive you. He will refresh you by the power of his spirit. He's able to fill you again with his word. He's able to help you to have an understanding that comes from his word. You can come back unto him and ask him to speak to you again, even this morning. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.